The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. After Jesus had spoken these words, he looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. So now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had in your presence before the world existed. I have made your name known to those whom you gave me from the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words that you gave to me, I have given to them, and they have received them, and know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am asking on their behalf. I am not asking on behalf of the world, but on behalf of those whom you gave me, because they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. And now I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them in your name that you have given me, so that they may come, so that they may be one as we are one. The Gospel of the Lord. You can be seated. On Thursday this week, the church at large observed a principal festival day. You know what it was? It was Ascension. But if you didn't hear anything about it, that's okay, because it's typically overlooked. Also, the kind of folks, the kind folks who put together our lectionary readings knew that you wouldn't hear anything about it on Thursday, so they gave it to you again today as the first reading from Acts. Acts 1 tells the story. Jesus tells the disciples they will receive the Holy Spirit and become witnesses to the ends of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. Even though you may not have heard anything about ascension, it is an important detail to know for several reasons. The story doesn't end on Easter when Jesus was resurrected from the dead. That's not the ending of Jesus' story. Just as the crucifixion and the resurrection are inseparable parts of Jesus' journey, so is the ascension. God doesn't send the Holy Spirit, the advocate, to the disciples until Jesus has returned to God. The resurrection of Jesus is not the end of the Easter story. Resurrection is leading us somewhere to the ascension and then to Pentecost. Those events are the culmination of the Easter story. You also need to know this. The point of the ascension is not that Jesus has a booster rocket. 
that propels him into space somewhere beyond the galaxies. The ascension has more meaning than that. In returning to God, Jesus is continuing the pattern of serving on behalf of others. Jesus was fully God and fully human. And he lived and died and was resurrected to show us what God intended for humanity from the beginning. And in returning to God's presence, the ascended Jesus is still serving the needs of humanity by continually representing each of us to God. That's what Hebrews 9.24 says. Jesus now appears in the presence of God on our behalf. It's also said that Jesus now intercedes for us, offering prayers and requests to God on our behalf. Those are the reasons why we ought not skip over the ascension. Because by ascending, Jesus is now above all rule and authority and everything on behalf of the church, the one who suffered and died, who knows every human weakness. That Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God in majesty and glory. And by his being lifted up, we are lifted up with him as citizens of the new creation and heirs of his promise. In today's reading from John 17, Jesus says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all people to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Jesus acknowledges his, that his authority includes the giving of eternal life. Now, I don't want to assume that your reason for being in church today, I don't want to assume what that is, but I wonder if that eternal life part of it has something to do with it. That's why we do all of this anyway, right? It's why we sing the songs. It's why we pray the prayers. It's why we read the Bible. It's why we listen to the sermons. It's why we taste the communion. It's why we baptize with water, right? It's for the eternal life. We're all here because we've bought into this idea that if we do the right things, if we show up, to the right building at the right time once a week, God will punch our heavenly reward card and get us to the goal, eternal life. Jesus is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God, interceding for us, and we want to be there with him one day. We want to know without a shadow of a doubt that eternal life is what we've earned. We want the assurance that pearly gates, streets of gold, choirs of angels, and reuniting with loved ones are going to be what eternal life is. And it's easy to get carried away by all of this. 
I'm reminded of an old proverb, however. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. I think Johnny Cash sang that. The truth is that we can become so consumed with our ideas about eternal life that we are no good at caring for the least and the lost here and now. That word, eternal, that Jesus uses is a tricky word. And the ideas that you attach to it might not be what Jesus originally meant. Now, that shouldn't surprise any of us because throughout the Gospel of John, Jesus has been speaking and people have been missing the point repeatedly, taking his words literally when he actually meant something figuratively. Nicodemus puzzles at how he can enter the womb and be born again. The woman at the well is confused about the water Jesus offers her when he doesn't have a bucket to get it. Why should we assume that we're smarter than them and excused from the experience of misunderstanding? In speaking about eternal life, what if Jesus is talking about something else? Something more spiritual, less literal. Something not controlled by what our ideas are about God and eternal life. So let's stop. Let's reorient ourselves to that word eternal in eternal life and what it means. When we hear the word eternal, our mind immediately goes to an unending length of time. If something is eternal, it means that it lasts forever. But the Greek word used here, aeonion, is a little more nuanced. And it has more to do with quality of time than quantity of time. What if eternal life has more to do with quality than length of time? In its original context, eternal is not focused on the future, per se, but rather on the quality of the age it relates to. In other words, eternal life is accessible right now. You can experience the quality of the ultimate future that God has when all things are at peace and God's justice reigns supreme and all things are liberated now, in the present. When we hear the word eternal, we already have it made up that we know what that means. What if Jesus is talking about something else? Perhaps it's more like wholeness of life, a fullness of life, or abundant life. When our translations instead insert that word eternal. By the way, Jesus tells us exactly what eternal life is in verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. And it's not about heaven. It's about an abiding, connected relationship with the divine mystery of God. 
the eternal, abundant, whole life that Jesus brings you is not something that's reserved for when you die. It's available here and now. And it's given as a gift that only requires that you accept it. Amen.